Hey everybody, welcome back to Peds in a Pod. This is your host David, and today I'm back with Dr. Landman to discuss pediatric burns. Welcome back, Dr. Landman. Thank you. Good to be here. So this burns falls under the emergency and critical care section of the board content outline. So it's not a big portion. It's about three and a half percent. But I think that burns are something that we can get some easy points on if you remember some of these pearls. So we will let Dr. Landman lead us through this. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the pediatric trauma section from uh, last uh, episode, make sure you tune into that as well. So let's go ahead and get us started. There's lots of things that can burn kids, and there's lots of different types of burns as well. So like trauma, this is not completely comprehensive, but we're going to try and give you some things to help score you some more points. So maybe if we just open up with kind of burn severity and differentiating between types of burns, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, I think that's a good way to start. Uh, yeah, this is a very broad topic. Um, tough to fit into a few minutes here. Uh, there's all kinds of burns. Uh, you know, the scald burn is probably the most classic for pediatrics, but we also see, you know, heat-related burns, electrical, and a unique but growing population is friction burns, thinking about treadmills particularly, and then chemical burns. So there's a whole wide variety of uh, burn mechanisms, uh, but they're all evaluated essentially the same. Now, some of the chemical burns uh, requires to be a little thought about what chemical is involved and whether or not any specific local therapy or systemic therapy needs to be administered. Uh, but for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to kind of lump them all together in the initial evaluation. So classically, um, they're described as first, second, third, and fourth degree. Generally, the, the burn world is getting uh, more towards a descriptive uh, depth as opposed to using those degrees. So the most superficial is called superficial, and that's really just epidermis, and that's it's dry, it's red, it blanches, it's a sunburn. Um, and that's pretty straightforward, and as you would imagine, generally heals on its own over time. Fairly painful, though, up front, we've all been there. Uh, next deepest, if you will, is the superficial partial thickness burn. And this is a, a much different uh, a monster. There are blisters, it's moist, it's red, it may weep fluid, it, but it does still blanch with pressure. Uh, it may be painful uh, to touch, temperature, uh, even air, uh, and these many times will heal um, on their own as well. That kind of blanching aspect suggests uh, that there's going to be enough uh, epidermis there to uh, heal that up. Uh, usually heals from the uh, hair follicles. And then the next deepest layer is the deep partial thickness burns. And these are blisters. It's wet. could be waxy and dry, though. It has variable color, um, and it could be patchy, white, even to red. Uh, it may blanch in some areas, but it may also be kind of sluggish as, it, as that uh, redness returns. It's painful probably only to deep pressure. These are getting uh, deep enough where we're going to have to start thinking about uh, grafting at some point. And then full thickness is that sort of classic waxy, white, leathery, uh, dry, doesn't blanch. Uh, it may be painful to deep pressure only, but it really is um, a significant burn, and that's going to require surgical um, evaluation and treatment. Um, and then there's uh, uncommon um, but deeper injuries, uh, the so-called fourth-degree uh, injuries, burns that, that extend into fascia or muscle, so that's the entire 
skin uh, layer plus uh, deeper. And those always require surgery and they can be fairly significant uh, in their appearance. So really we're using kind of color cues, blanching, and then pain can maybe or maybe not help distinguish exactly. our severity of burn or exactly. depth of burn rather. Yeah, I think if you think about your sunburn being sort of where you start and then you get further down, and the deeper you go uh, into the skin layers, the less it's going to blanch. And once you get through the nerves of the, of the skin, the less it's going to hurt. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't make a joke about the cooking temperature of meat. But I, I think we'll just leave <laughs> yeah, it at just, that and move just on. Just hold off, yeah. <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> All right, so I, I think this is definitely important, and this is certainly something that can be tested, is how do we calculate percentage of a burn surface on a pediatric patient? Exactly. Classically, burns in all ages is, is described as total body surface area. And importantly, it's total body surface area of these partial thickness, full thickness burns, not necessarily the superficial burns, okay? And sometimes it can be really hard to tell, so uh, I wouldn't beat yourself, up, beat yourself up if you missed by a few percentage points. Um, but it is, um, it is important to remember it's the partial and, and full thickness burns. It's classically a percentage, and it's classically, um, quite honestly, overestimated in burns in kids, uh, especially if they're burns in the sort of 10 to 20% range. Uh, which is uh, easy to do. The Lund uh, broader scale is used um, and it is the classic front and back of a person uh, and a child with percentages um, throughout the body and you know for the amount of surface area. Importantly as you think about kids going from from infants and, and, and babies to uh, adolescence is the percentage uh, surface area of the head decreases as kids get older. So it's a higher percent in babies than it is in adolescents and adults, the head, head region. And in adults, there's more um, extremity percentage, uh, total body surface, or body surface area um, than in kids. And then I think there's always the, uh, what's that, the palm? As, yeah, as importantly, the, ki the kid's palm, not your palm. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that may be where some of our estimations exactly. come from. <laughs> All right. Um, so again, I, I think that that is probably one of the highlights is being able to determine um, a, per, a total body surface area percentage. So make sure you guys take a look at that and feel comfortable with calculating that on the test. All right. So after we've done our ABCs in a severely burned patient, what should be our next thought? Yeah, um, exactly right. ABCs are the first for every patient. Uh, the next important things, and in fact, you know, these things tend to happen simultaneously in a, in a, in a major resuscitation, but it's going to be vascular access for IV fluid resuscitation. It's going to be temperature control, uh, particularly in large surface area burns. Their, their, their temperature is uh, easily to become um, hypothermic. Uh, tetanus immunization in patients who haven't had their booster in the last five years. In patients with significant burns, say greater than... 10 to 15 percent, you want to consider a Foley catheterization uh, to, to monitor urine output and your, and your uh, fluid status. Yeah, I think if you think about the burn surface area is first off losing water and second off losing heat, that's your, there are two big points that you talked about right there is fluid resuscitation. They're typically going to be very large fluid resuscitations in these large burn patients, correct? Exactly right. They're 
the volumes are uncomfortable to administer. That's the, uh, it's usually that significant of a volume resuscitation. And I don't know if we're, we're going into that. So I think, you know, one of the classic formulas for administering IV fluids uh, for any burn patient and is the Parkland formula. Um, and the modified Parkland formula is probably the most common, and that's four milliliters per kilogram uh, times percent total body surface area, again, of that moderate and full thickness burns, or partial and full thickness burns. And that equals your total volume for the first 24 hours. Importantly, that's on top of maintenance fluids. So you, you have to calculate your maintenance uh, volume in there as well. And the way the Parkland formula resuscitation works is you administer half of this 24 hour, 24 hour volume in the first eight hours and the other half of that volume in the last 16 hours of that first 24 hour period. If a patient comes in delayed, they may need to even accelerate that resuscitation more. But again, that's the modified Parkland formula, four mill, milliliters per kilogram times total body surface area burn equals the amount of fluid a burn patient will need in the first 24 hours. And this is generally for patients who've got a 10% or higher burn. Excellent. All right, so we'll go back to our ABCs for a second because I think that this may be something that we're asked to know for the boards is when we're evaluating the airway of a pediatric burn patient, are there th clues that would make us uh, worry about the burn in this patient? Yeah, uh, classically singed nose hairs. If they have them. <laughs> if they have them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when nose hairs develop. I haven't really looked that up recently. But if they've got nose hairs, then look to see if they're singed. Uh, carbonaceous sputum is also classically a, another finding of an inhalational uh, type injury, airway involvement of a burn. Uh, obviously, any respiratory distress, tachypnea, retractions, scalding to the face, you know, burns directly on the face. Uh, those things suggest that there may be need for securing an airway sooner rather than later. And classically, the teaching is, is if you think there's an airway injury or airway burn, is to intubate sooner rather than later because it gets much more difficult once they start to swell from their um, burns. All right. And I know you said that we were going to kind of lump them all together, but I'm going to break one subset off here because yeah. I think this is something that is highly testable. So um, electrical burns, particularly in our toddlers who they're just trying to explore and figure things out, and they get a cord, they chew on it, and they burn the side of their mouth. Yeah, and these injuries are interesting. Uh, so electrical injuries range from the very low voltage, uh, low uh, likelihood of significant systemic injury, injuries with outlets. So 110 volt, uh, generally in the U.S., you know, your outlets and your uh, cords from, from these outlets. And then if you think about high power lines and lightning strikes, we're talking about uh, you know, 100,000 plus into the millions for lightning strikes. So generally these type of household injuries are very low voltage type injuries. And uh, that helps you in determining one, if a patient needs to be monitored for a long period of time, coming to the hospital, um, and then uh, how to manage the uh, wound itself. Generally the wounds uh, of the uh, corners of the mouth per se with the um, electrical cord uh, can be treated as an outpatient. But the most important thing is that 
uh, they're going to require some sort of uh, brace and therapy to prevent uh, contracture of the corner of their mouth. Some of these injuries can result in significant tissue loss, uh, but the uh, smaller injuries will really heal on their own with some therapy. Uh, in terms of admission, generally in patients who are asymptomatic, uh, most of the studies show that they don't require admission to the hospital. Most EKGs, which is a general screening uh, for uh, cardiac injuries related to a, an electrical injury, uh, most of those EKGs and these low voltage type injuries are totally normal. High voltage injuries is a whole different uh, can of worms. You know, EKGs, troponins, you're thinking about CK. Uh, importantly, with major electrical injuries, the surface skin injury can be minor, but the internal injuries, uh, both at entry and exit points, uh, can be quite significant. And you can deal with a lot of muscle loss. And even these patients may have internal injuries from uh, a significant uh, electrical injury. Excellent. Um, on, I think the only other thing I remember from uh, my board study was with uh, um, malfern is a delayed labial artery bleed when that SR falls off. They can kind of That's erode a great into that area. That's a great point. Bleed and bleed and bleed. So just complications of burns are, are something to take, take into consideration as well. I think an important consideration, particularly, um, you know, general, you know, who should be seen in a burn center versus seen as an outpatient, uh, things that suggest patients should be transferred uh, to a burn center. So partial thickness or full thickness greater than 10%. Any burns involving the face, hands, feet, genitalia, peritoneum, uh, perineum, sorry. Third degree burns of any sort, electrical burns, particularly those high voltage injuries, chemical burns, something with an inhalation. Um, if they've got pre-existing conditions, obviously they may need a higher level of care. Um, and then an important consideration is uh, evaluation for non-accidental uh, burns, child abuse. Uh, and unlike patients who have non-accidental trauma or physical child abuse um, uh, from hitting or other types of uh, injuries, burns can happen in a little bit older kids. So even up to age four, uh, you can see some burns from um, child abuse. So it's important to keep that within your differential on these patients who you, who you may see in your uh, officer in emergency department and unfortunately that is a, a realistic thing we didn't even talk about that with uh, our pediatric trauma evaluation that's a whole other talk exactly <laughs> exactly and we have covered uh we have covered non-accidental trauma in a separate uh talk great, so if you great. if you guys want a refresher on that check back to one of our previous episodes but again thank you very much dr Landman, for your time thank you